1: This is episode number 62 with our guest, Amanda Johnson. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us, tuning right in. You know you're tuned into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. And you know I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is a self-proclaimed recovering perfectionist and overthinker. Today, she is the creator of Being Good with Being You and the author of the five-star rated book on Amazon, Becoming Enough, a heroine's journey to the already perfect self. Everything she does is based on the belief of Who we are is already enough. It's not about fixing ourselves, but rather revealing more of our whole selves, that which we already are. Can you get on board with that? Think about that. It took me personally years to do so. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go deep. I adore our guest in so many ways. Help me welcome Amanda Johnson. How are you, Amanda?
0: I'm so glad, except I'm really expecting like the track, the applause track, to come in. That is what you need on this show. Ah, uh,
1: yes, the track. The applause
0: track, the track. I love it. I'm so, so excited to be here.
1: Likewise. And um, I, I think that I can say um, I adore you. We've had some off-air conversations, and least of which, um, at the time of this recording, just yesterday... I was a guest on your show on your podcast, which was an excellent experience so um i 've never had sort of this this back to back really cool juxtaposition good word for the record. I love that opportunity to use that word juxtaposition so um let 's get right to it because I know that um you have a lot to say I have a lot to ask you are a um, you 're a recovering perfectionist and um I, I know that we have a, a, a similar past in many regards. We've we felt, whatever the word is, not enough that we're going to uh, dig into. But also, you went the perfectionist road. And for what it's worth, I never did. And I know that there's a lot of you out there. Um, what do you make of that, that difference? Who are you and who are the people like me?
0: hmm so I, I really do believe that we can, um, we can come to understand who we are, we can remember the truth in, uh, in a plethora of ways, or probably more than even two. Um, but for the sake of this conversation and using each of us as an example, I think it's fun to look at the duality, um, to look at that, that uh, juxtaposition, if you will and um, looking at the fact that yes, there are those of us who resonate with being a perfectionist, the overachiever that, uh, and, and actually I was like unbeknownst to me an overachiever because to be fair, I never thought I was overachieving because nothing was ever enough. So how could you even say I'm overachieving? I was just uh, trying to achieve. Wow. Um, and so there was this, you know, overachieving perfectionistic striving uh, one direction. And I think you're right. The opposite to that or that the duality to that would be the, the one who, um, isn't, it's almost as if they've given up before they even began, I suppose. So if I'm not feeling enough, I'm either going to overcompensate and I'm going to strive and, and try to show my enoughness in some way, or I'm going to sit around and say, you know what, I'm not enough. Why bother? And I think those are the two extremes. Now, I shared a great analogy that I'm gonna share again here with you because I think this is, this is valid and worthy for your listeners to hear. I learned this incredible analogy once around self-esteem and, and self-worthiness and how we look at ourselves and this idea. And I think this shows those two um, opposing ideas pretty nicely where the, those of us who feel that, you know we need to prove our enoughness in this world by overachieving and striving, we're gonna, you can use, think of it as throwing horseshoes, and there's a couple different places you can place your stake for that. And so if you put your stake way, way far out, like I did in my life, again, it's so far out there that I'm never going to reach it, but I'm going to keep throwing the horseshoe. I'm going to keep throwing the horseshoe. I'm going to just try constantly to make the to make it hit the, um, the stake, except what's happening is I've also created this false sense of... No one could ever possibly reach that. So in a way, it was a protective device. This is the thing about our paths is that it's all protecting us in some way, our ego, not our true self, but our ego. So my ego was actually protecting itself by overachieving because deep down I knew I would never reach it and no one who who could, right? It would be impossible. So there's this improbability to it. The other person maybe who also does not have any self-esteem or self-worth feels that they can't even try so they put the steak right in front of them and they drop the horseshoe on it because for them it's like you know what there's no way I would make it if I set it any further out I may as well keep it really close you know close to me and then at least I made it "Quote unquote," but they never tried. Um, and then there's the healthy level. That's the person who puts it, you know, and probably because they remember who they truly are. They they're placing that just beyond what feels comfortable. That's extending the comfort zone. That's pushing our boundaries a little bit so that we we have to try. Um, you know, there is that sense of I, you know, but there's also a sense of knowing that it's possible. We have that faith, that trust that I can do that, that is possible. And to me, that's the sweet spot. And where these two opposing, see, you know, they're opposing, but they're actually the same um, ways of seeing ourselves come together.
1: Mm, I, I absolutely love that analogy with the horseshoes and somebody like you, the perfectionist, would just put it so far out. And you're, you're so right about somebody like me feeling uh, the, the lack of self-esteem and self-worth. I did just put that stake right by my feet and drop the horseshoe. And as you were talking, the reason, I'm like, yeah, why is that? One word came to mind, Expectations nobody had an expectation for me to do any differently and i agreed with that just like i agreed with so much that people identified uh, me as. Um, I didn't want to disappoint. I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to make waves. I didn't want to make anybody else feel embarrassed for their impression of me and say, no, nah, you got me all wrong. So I always said, yes, you got me all right. However you, however you uh, define or label me, yes, yes, that is correct. You got it. That's who I am. Terrible. I get it. Yeah. I get it.
0: I do. Because even from my perspective, I was still, I was actually still trying to please the people around me. I, I just had a different, I had a different agreement that I had made. And I had a different assumption that I was working under of what people expected of me. See, I assumed people were expecting me to reach that far, far away stake in the ground. I mean, the reality is I, I, they weren't. You could ask my parents. I probably asked them then. I remember coming home in high school with my straight A report card and saying, oh. look, look what I did. Look what I did. And they're like, that's, I mean, that's great. We love you no matter what. And I'm right. like- Wait no no no. I mean, but you love me because I got four. You know, like I was create. It was my own expectations, but I had projected that onto everyone else around me. So then I perpetuated. I need to keep being this way. I need to keep being this way in order to please them. So I I hear you, and I I would even then challenge whether or not those were their expectations. That is what you chose to believe. Oh, of course. And you perpetuate, right? That's what we do. That's what we do. So.
1: Oh my God, of course. And we, we, we inadvertently bring those people into our lives to make sure that that is, that is the case for ourselves. Um, another similarity we each have is that we each spent um, a life in the arts as an actor performer. Um, tell me first about how, how you were in that world.
0: Sure. As I remember getting my first leading role, leading character um, in The Old Woman and the Pig when I was five years old. And so I starred as the old woman at the age of five. <laughs> And ever since then, I knew I was drawn to the stage and actually I did. I, my father was a musical director. Uh, so all like all growing up through elementary school, first grade on, I would come and do, they would need children in these musicals. And so I would be one of the children. So I was in gypsy and sound of music and, um, fiddler on the roof and you know, all of these. And so it was, it was what I knew it was my life. And I remember, getting to like fifth or sixth grade and, and being asked the question, so what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? And I was so torn. I was like, oh, I, I either want to be an actor or an accountant. And I just put it aside. And that to me is like the perfect example of my own duality and dualistic nature and the fact that like at that time, both parts of my brain were actually very active. At some point, I, I think there has been imbalance. But yes, I've always been a very analytical creative. Um, so yeah, I, I I performing throughout middle school, high school, went and studied theater in college, um, have a degree in theater. I have a bachelor's uh, in theater. And and then I went off to San Francisco and made a, you know, made my attempt at becoming a professional actor. I mean, I was, I was technically getting paid, so you could say I, I was professional for about five years and then I chose a different path.
1: What did that industry do for you?
0: you know i and we talked about this actually on on my show so it's coming up and so for anyone listening you'll have to go listen to josh's uh interview to to hear this full story but there was this idea of needing seeking the external approval and validation and that became very clear to me later in life as i started really becoming more self-reflective and i i noticed that wow this i was always seeking the attention of others and what better place to do it than on a stage. I mean, goodness, you get the, it is instant gratification, immediate feedback loop, right? I, I get out there, I do my thing and you applaud for me like that's amazing. And so there was, um, I didn't, I mean, at the time I didn't know that's why I was doing it, but obviously that's exactly why I was doing it. I was getting the fix. I was getting the hit. Why? Because I wasn't giving it to myself. You said that exact same thing. So I was spending my whole life wanting to receive this this external validation approval when i was writing my book i remember then going back and and evaluating that time again and thinking oh gosh was i you know was i actually was that coming from a quote-unquote bad place was that coming from a you know a place of um, unworthiness you know here i am trying to look good look look at look everybody look at who i am and the answer is yes and no. What, I, what I've discovered more recently is that yes, on the one hand, I was taking the stage because I wanted that external feedback and that external validation and approval. Equally, I was taking the stage because I knew deep down what I had to sh- like share and what I had to give. And I knew deep down that there was this bright light within me that wanted to shine. And the stage was where it was safe to do that. I was given permission on stage to shine brightly where I was not given it anywhere else, meaning I'd sit in a restaurant, and if this even happens like as of a month ago, I'm being told by my parents, I love you dearly by the way, that, um, Amanda, shh, you're being too loud, you're being too loud, quiet, quiet down. So I've always been told to be, you know, to quiet down, be smaller, fit in this box, and I think in some way, again, unconsciously, my soul essence knew who she was and realized that no one's going to quiet me down on stage. Why? Because that's actually where I'm supposed to be big. So I gave myself permission to shine on stage because it was acceptable. But then you took me off the stage. I didn't want to outperform you. I didn't want to walk into a room and and you know take attention from others because that wasn't okay. So I think it was me finding my way to the stage had both components to it, the, the not enough and the I am so brilliant, I don't know what to do with myself.
1: Mm, I got chills throughout so much of that. I mean, it's just, it's just so perfect, so beautiful. When you said, I knew deep down what I had to give um, and, and what you had to share. And yes, to, to really put it in that perspective, that the stage was the place for you to express that, Opposed to quote unquote real life, I want to ask you a question that I don't know if it's a um, I don't know how big of a question it is, but it's it's really what your whole theme and journey is about. This becoming enough. So we hear that, and we hear you say you are enough just where you are, and that's the place you have to start from. How? What is that first step? If I logically can get on board and say, fine, yes, I get it. I, I, I guess you're saying that everything I am, who I represent, what I hold is enough, but, so how do I, h- how do I leave that? And how do, what's my first step to really embracing that, living that? So
0: I'm gonna answer what's coming up and then if I'm not answering the question, let me know. But what's coming up as you ask that is, I came to a realization in my life where I, I was totally resistant to accepting myself as as I am being enough. I, I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? How, like, why would I accept this? I mean, I'm a perfectionist. Uh, I'm too intense. Uh, I'm too sensitive. I, you know, the list goes on and on and on. All the, I mean, I have to fix all those things. Like, how can I just say that's okay? because I had this belief that if I said it was okay, then I would never change it. And I thought I had to change it, right? So there's this incredible resistance inherent in accepting oneself as already enough, okay, perfect, whole, complete, put in whatever, insert word, right? Whatever resonates for you. Because I think there was immediately for me as the overachiever, well then what in the world will I fix? And what in the world will I spend the rest of my time doing? Now. That's part of that piece, that puzzle. I also came to a realization, or the realization was made known to me, it's not like I did it, but it was made known to me that there would, I would, I was so fearful, this goes with what I just said, that if I said I am already enough, then I would become stagnant. I would become just, I would, I wouldn't, I would just stop basically. And I realized now, years later, even having that first Um, intuitive hit, I think I've been shown more clearly, that was the ego's fear of dying. Because when um, we took, there's a lot of talk about the the death of the ego. And and I'm not saying that we were without an ego. It's simply layers upon layers of dying onto oneself over and over and over again. And that was one of the first layers I think the ego had to die to, which was, wait, if I'm enough, what in the world am I going to do with my time now? How am I going to show up and be this overachiever perfectionist person so there were all these layers of labels and identities that i had to shed in order to even embrace or acknowledge that i am enough however when i see that i am enough when i could realize that these were fears of losing an identity um because guess what i can't call myself a perfectionist anymore sorry you know what i mean i can't call myself an you know whatever because i had to die to those labels what that then did was it allowed me to now expand even more. And that was such a weird concept for me. because so I thought, wait, but if I'm enough, well, now I, I, I don't need to strive for anything. That has since also been torn away and peeled away because that's also not true. Being enough is not the end game. It is the starting point, because until I could accept my enoughness, embrace my enoughness, that is a whole place from which I could then go forward, move forward, share, expand, become even more, if that makes sense.
1: Mm, You did it. Yes, yes. That's the answer. That's magnificent. (laughs) Thank you. Now, (laughs) boom, we're out. By the um, way,
0: you just used that word. I have to say, I think this is, I think I put this in the book. It might be a quote that until I could embrace my enoughness, I could never embrace my magnificence.
1: Oh, wow. And that deserves a drink from a different cup. I, yes. I
0: like to hydrate while I caffeinate.
1: You have two cups. Uh, I love it. And uh, the one cup says, everybody is entitled to my opinion. Humor. <laughs> Wit, charm, eloquence, uh, Amanda Johnson.tv. Uh, so moving right along, the um, I want to now go back to your childhood and see how we got to this lovely person we call Amanda. Take us back, please, to the very beginning. Um, what was life like growing up mm-hmm. as you? Mm-hmm.
0: I just, first of all, I always have to. I feel like I have to like preface anything I say with "I love my parents so much."
1: <laughs> well, let's analyze that. I'm kidding. We don't have. Let's to.
0: analyze that. You'll because that out. I more than likely they'll be listening to this. Um, that's how phenomenal they are. So anyhow, let's. So noted, right? Noted. Right. Now, on to my story. Um, this is how I saw myself as I grew up. So I, I grew up the youngest of four and, um, and the story goes, because at this point it really is, it's just a simple story, but the story is, um, that I became so attached to throughout my life that I was the oopsie baby. I was the mistake. I was the unplanned child who came six years after my parents were done having children, according to what I understood and know they will, they, they will avidly correct me at this point and say, you were so adored and so loved. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that back then. Okay. That's right. the point of this. And let's be honest, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today had I known that. So I, I was raised in a very traditional household. I would call it very typical, two parents, four kids, middle-class um, you know, moved around a little, but not a lot, uh, you know, happy, happy childhood for the most part, um, other than a perfectionistic mother and, uh, a father who was in the arts, but maybe wasn't completely pursuing, I mean, he pursued his passion to a degree, but also I think felt like he sacrificed his true passion for his family. Sorry, dad, if I'm overanalyzing you here. Uh, but there was, you know, other than some of those, their own, their own neuroses, there was no, no problems in the household, Right. Um, so I grew up actually in a way what I would say, um, very in, lo- I know I was loved, but I had this core wound. I had this core belief that I was unwanted. And so I spent my whole life trying to remedy that, trying to fix that. Mm-hmm. And that's of course what got me to, you know, sharing what I shared about being the perfectionist and getting the straight A's and being the performer and doing all of these things in an attempt to fill that little hole that said you were never wanted, planned, um, loved. And then that has turned into a lifetime of, of reclaiming that, remembering that. And, um, and going through a lot of things to get here, including getting married in an early age and then getting a divorce, which really felt taboo for me because I was the first in my very extended family to get a divorce. So I started like, peeling back the layers of, it's okay to not do what everyone else would want me to do. It's okay to listen to my own knowing. It's okay to be who I truly am. And it was this, that was probably my mid twenties when I started peeling all that back and going, wait, I can listen to myself, Oh wait, I can do what I think is best. And it was then another, you know, 10 years in the making, you know, of, of, of that process of coming to, remember who I am and listen to that knowing within. And that's just now taken many different forms and paths to get me to where I am today.
1: Hmm. What more do you want to know? Yeah, exactly. Where do we go from here? So um, I, I see the picture now. Um, you, you had shared with me, and, and, and I just want to hear you recap it. Um, tell me about when you were three.
0: Okay. So I have this memory when I'm, I'm three years old. Um, we're living in Pekin, Illinois and I'm in the bathtub. We're going to assume I'm being supervised. Um, but I, I don't, I just remember being in the bathtub and I somehow remember looking out a window, which must have been like, I could stand up and look out this window into the backyard. And I remember my old, my three older siblings were all splashing around and playing in the pool. And I, for whatever reason, I don't even remember what I felt in that moment, but the reason that that memory comes to me is in my life, um, at times of noticing what I would call a trigger in my body or being triggered by something and feeling the the tension or the tightness somewhere in my body, I've worked with individuals who have said, okay, go there, feel into that feeling, okay, and as soon as you feel it and really go there, what is the First memory, because there's a lot of memories that might pop up, but they say go to the earliest one you can. And in one of these, one of these occasions that I was being asked to do something like this, I remember that memory. Hmm. It it just, it was like a picture. I was like, oh, I'm in a bathtub, and my, oh, interesting. And as I explored that, what I think that represents. Were represented to me either then or since then and I've attached to this feeling of of disconnection of separation was he, I'm, I'm physically separate from my siblings I am physically disconnected from them and that come that was a a memory that somehow validated the story that i was unwanted unloved because and you know here i am separate from everyone else because here's the here's what i believe at this point in time We all have a core wound of this illusion of separation. Mm. What I believe it is, is it's when we come into our physical bodies, we are separated from the divine. We are in our, in a very dualistic perspective, like I'm now in a body, which means I am no longer connect. Well, you could look at it from the divine. If you want to look at that way, you can also look at it from your mother we were in our mother's womb for 9 months and then what are we we come into the world we are physically cut off and now we are separate and i think our entire life is about remembering that we were we are not separate but we we believe we are for a long time. And rightly so, because I am physically separate from you. I'm physically separate from my mother. I'm physically separate from everyone else. Uh, and, and the journey is coming back to remembering that we are ultimately always connected. So that was my version of that story of, of separation and feeling disconnected at a very young
1: age. When did you get that awakening, that awareness that you just displayed? Well, it's been an ongoing process, but I remember that
0: when I remember that memory being pointed out for me. Um, I let's see. It would have been about five years ago. I was in um, in a program that I went to in Albany, New York. Actually, well, I was in New York City, and then it, we transferred to Albany for a few more months. But it was a a personal development program, basically. And it they did some of these exercises using neuro programming, and and then ever since I've I've worked with other mentors, coaches, teachers, etc., who've done similar things. Even most recently, um, I'm working with an author right now who's going to have an amazing book coming out soon called. Trigger proof, and he also worked with me on this memory. And so it's you know probably started five years ago when I remembered that memory, and that began the the peeling back of the layers of the layers of what does that mean, and where does that wound come from, and and um, what comes up for me. And I would actually say within the last two months, have I had a clearer understanding that that was my wound of separation, actually, or you know, within the last six months, I've, you know, I just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper, if you will, in terms of what it really means.
1: You know, now growing up as a, um, as a young adult, a teen, late teens, early 20s, um, I'm guessing you were still very much wearing that perfectionist label. Um, I have the impression because remember, I was never that. um, But I have the impression that you you're either doing it behind closed doors or not doing it at all, really, um, in engaging with your emotions. Do you find that you just suppressed all of it?
0: Yep. For the most part. Um, but I think you're, you're probably more, you're more accurate to say I was, I would go between I, I cause I, I remember I was at one point in my mid twenties, um, dating a guy who would actually, he's like, you might be bipolar. Um, and I think it was because I would, I was so good at wow. repressing it and suppressing it a lot. And, um, and then I would just, it would come out. Mm. And I remember thinking that I'm, I'm so emotional. I'm so emotional. Cause I would just sob and sob and sob. And I was actually at this same program that I was referencing before. And I remember telling my group, I'm like, but I'm just, I'm so emotional. And I'm sitting there very, you know, put together when I say this. And they're looking at me, they're like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, you're not. I'm like, what, what do you mean I'm not? And I, again, through that program, uncovered that for me, being emotional was a loss of control. So I was always in control with my emotions um, until I wasn't, which was why I drank. Um, because when I drank, then I could, I could sob my eyes out and it would be a big release for me. There you go. Yeah? So, all those drinkers out there who like to cry a lot when they drink, you might want to look at are you expressing and processing your emotions outside of drinking?
1: <laughs> wow that's that's brilliant. My issue was like like I'm saying the opposite. I would find myself sobbing in the corner like a baby uh and and then being told stop crying, stop being a baby. And I'm like I just need to be held. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know.
0: I mean, right. I, I, yeah, we, we are being modeled because I, I had a, again, a parent who my mother would not show emotion and she would constantly limit, she would re- stop herself from, Oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. So I saw that. I'm like, I guess that's how I'm supposed to do it. Um, but I also had a father <laughs> who was much more in touch, I think, with his feelings and emotions. So I was, I kind of danced between the two. Yeah.
1: Hmm. And then you said you got married and then divorced and that was still working through your, your role of embracing that you are enough. What was, what was a or the real low point or turning point where you said, I am enough, okay, I, or I have to figure this out and then it was, oh, the issue is that I'm, I'm enough and I'm not enough and I don't feel enough.
0: Whether or not this is accurate, this is the time I can go back to because I remember I actually have felt that I, my rock bottom wasn't deep enough <laughs> because nothing in my life was enough, including my rock bottom.
1: Oh my God, um, that's brilliant.
0: <laughs> which I also address, I think, in the book because I talk about like some of us, some of us actually don't have to go to the depths of hell. We don't have to wake up from a nightmare. We simply have to realize that we've, you know, been asleep. So I mm. finally realized I've been asleep. Um, it, mine wasn't a nightmare that I woke from. Mine was simply like, a, oh, I, I nodded off there. Good. Let's let's come back. Wow. But it actually took me a while to accept that. So what that point in time was is I I was probably in my. I was like 30-ish early 30s um and i by this point had you know been married and divorced then in another long-term relationship that had also come to an end and this whole time i mean very much on a journey very much on the self-development um even looking at different spirits i mean i was everything from baptized i mean within in my 20s i was baptized became an atheist and then explored buddhism like all in a span of 10 years And um, so I was really trying to, here's the thing. I was trying to find myself and I started realizing that I didn't know who I was. Any person I dated or was married to or friends with, that is who I, that is who I was. I would adopt their beliefs. I would adopt Uh their likes. I would (laughs) never state what I wanted or express what I wanted. Um, and I, again, called in tremendous people into my life, including the, the guy who called me bipolar, because he he helped me see a lot of this in my in my latter half of my 20s. So anyway, I'm now 30, 31, and I am just like, I don't get it. Like, I am so tired. I think you said this. Uh, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was just so tired. And if it wasn't you, forgive me. But anyway, I'm, I'm so tired of like... Why am I, why am I still feeling this way? Like at this point, yeah. I'm 37 years old. I've got a great job. I'm living in San Francisco. Um, I've like, I'm traveling. My life is on a lot of, I mean, if you were like, check, 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 like life's good, but I was still so unhappy and dissatisfied. And I literally was like looking at myself going like, okay, I haven't, I haven't lost a brother in a tragic accident. I haven't, you know, lost a parent. Um, I'm not ill. Uh, I'm not on, you know, I'm not in the gutters because I'm drinking and, you know, trying to kill myself. I mean, like, none of this was happening. Why am I so miserable? And then I was having a conversation, divinely, you know, it was, it was just divine intervention where I was with a brunch uh, with a couple girlfriends, and the book, The Power of Now, was mentioned, and I just oh, hello, yeah. Oh, huh, hey, never, I'm like, I'd never heard of it. I mean, I, I was kind of like, oh, that sounds vaguely familiar, but okay. Because yeah. I remember this said guy who, who called me bipolar at one point, he was all into being present. He's like, just be be right here. I'm like, I don't even, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. I do, not under, I do not understand the words coming out of your mouth. So, you know, fast forward, I wasn't ready for that message yet. Just here good. I am 30, 31, the power of now. And then right after that, the untethered soul made themselves known to me I read both back to back and in that moment I was like oh okay and it was like this weight just fell off my shoulder so to me it was those two books that were my turning point
1: isn't it hysterical as evident by my cackle 10 seconds ago um when you said uh when he's like just be just you know be in the now live in the mo-, and you're like i don't know the words that are coming up right so i, I love that idea that it, it's just true we could we could scream in the face of others at any time but if we are not ready to hear we will not that's right yeah um untethered soul i have to uh i have to get on that one huh Oh,
0: well, I mean, you may you may read it now and be like, oh, God, you have to, you know, I don't know. It is a tremendous book. It's a tremendous book by Michael Singer. And then he also wrote The Surrender Experiment, which I also recommend. Um, but I read that one later, and it had a very different impact on me. So, yeah. Mm.
1: So then you started doing the work and you put two and two together and you said, my goodness, I am enough. And not only that, I've always been enough. So that suggests what, that we just get in our own way. Why? Because if we didn't get
0: in our own way, we wouldn't get to wake up and remember who we truly are.
1: So you're saying that's a necessary evil.
0: I believe it is. And I would even say it's not evil. It is literally, I know, you know, but it is is exactly what needs to occur for us to wake up. And I I wish I even had my phone here. I would read a quote, but um, Ram Dass, I was listening to his latest episode on the podcast that is for Ram Dass. These are talks of his from the 70s, 80s, 90s. And this particular talk maybe happened at the end of the 80s, early 90s. And he says something in there, uh, which I think I am pointing to as I say this, I can't even remember now what the quote was, but it is this idea that that's what this whole journey is about is awakening to who we are. So yeah, if we never got in our way to begin with,
1: what's the point? We wouldn't be here who knows who we'd be. I know. And I think that that's pretty standard among people who um, acknowledge a journey and who have um, a better story to tell today. you look back and say, you know, I wouldn't change any of that because I would not be the person I am today. So much, so much beauty and brilliance in that idea. Um, But it, uh, you know, it, when you're, when you're in the journey, uh, it, it's not always that easy to feel.
0: 100% agree. And I, I always, when I talk with people, I'm always very quick to go back to that and point back to that and ask about that. Like, okay, I know that you're where you are now sounds great and beautiful and sunshine and roses and unicorns and all the things. And it wasn't always like that. And I 100% agree. And being on this side of it and you be asking me the questions, it is interesting how removed that feels. I mean, only because it's not my current experience anymore. That is not just, and, and what you said earlier, when we are ready, we, we will listen. And there is no forcing it. I think that, and you may not listening, you may not even be ready to hear this, but for those who are, there is no forcing it. And I learned, then I started realizing, and I have since been shown and remembered that there really has never been any forcing. I couldn't have tried if I wanted to. Um, And there are beautiful analogies for that. Uh, The snake shedding its skin. You cannot rip the skin off of a snake. The snake sheds its skin in its own time. And I think, for so many of us, we believe that we are to achieve certain things by a certain time, we are to accomplish things by a certain time, we should be there by now, whether or not that's on our spiritual path, career path, relationship path, whatever. And the reality is, we are exactly where we are meant to be. And we are going to arrive exactly where we are meant to arrive in the timing we are meant to get there. So...
1: My goodness, yes. Is this all about letting go, trust, faith?
0: Hundred percent. Because is that without what talking space, about yeah, yes, yes. Be- so I, I just you know heads up. I becoming enough is the first book of three. When I, you know, when I'm ready to shed the skin and write the second and third books, they'll come out. But um, oh, and we could go into a whole nother thing about how that brings up than all these other fears within me, which is my message is what keeps me from <laughs> taking action. But that's for a whole nother conversation because I don't actually believe that to be true, but it is a fear that I have, um, unless you want to go there. But yeah, I have two more books. So Becoming Enough is all about non-judgment. We have to, we first, I believe, need to practice non-judgment because as long as we're in judgment, there is no, to me, there's there's no moving. I can't say that. Of course, we're always moving forward, but the moving forward will be much slower and, and ugh, it's fine it takes the time it takes but for me it's first getting out of judgment then we learn to accept what is accepting what is requires surrender and faith and trust because we need to know that whatever is is okay and then we practice non um, non non-attachment and so at that point it is really letting go it is letting go of our ideas our identities our beliefs our attachment to outcomes Um, and those things are not linear it's not that you do one two three and you're done But I do believe they build on one another and then we go through them time and time and time again.
1: Mm. We have so much to continue to talk about. There will be more episodes. I see that there's uh, a lot of layers here. Um, Looking back, I'm really excited for this answer from you because it seems so significant. Looking back on a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give that person?
0: Uh, I would tell her that exactly where she is and exactly who she is is perfect. And there is nothing that she needs to do or be or achieve or overthink. It is all so divine and she is part of that divinity.
1: Hmm. What mantra do you live by today?
0: Oh, In this moment, um, my mantra it goes between a couple. Um, I am borrowing from a couple of teachers that I've been introduced to in the last year. I am loving awareness. That is, um, I give credit to Ram Dass for that one. I am loving awareness. And the other one that I've been playing with lately is that I am the witness only. I am the witness only. So those are my mantras currently that I'm, I'm really living by and
1: practicing. Tell me more about I am the witness only. What does that mean?
0: So that for me gets me back into the state of I when I get a little caught up in this very human experience, which is wonderful and beautiful and brilliant, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. There are times where I can get a little bit caught up in it. And I, I forget, you know, it's like, Oh, I forgot that this actually is, I am truly the witness of it. I I am not me having these thoughts and feelings and, and experiences. And, um, and it's nice sometimes to just pull back and zoom out a bit and, and see it from the larger perspective.
1: I love that. I could, um, I get it. I agree with it. I relate to it. It makes, I, I've never heard it in those words. That's why I wanted to expand a little yeah. bit on it. I am, I love it. The, the, the witness. Do you believe everything happens for a reason?
0: Yes. I do at this point. And I was saying, I actually, it's funny. If I look back on my life, I think I've always thought that I've always known that. And I think I can actually think my father, he would say things like that when I was growing up, if it's meant to be, it'll be things like that. And I don't think he knew that's what he was implanting in me, but I, I to this day, very strongly believe everything happens for a reason. And I, I don't say that in like a, you know, because I think it can be very uncomfortable for us to understand, the, look at atrocities and very traumatic events. And I am at a point in my life where I still, through that, can see the gift, the purpose, the, the result, and Whether or not that's greater compassion or understanding or love or um, connectedness that comes out of it, there is a purpose. And I I can't say that is 100% true. I don't actually know that, but I do know I get to choose how I see this world. I get to choose my beliefs and I get to put meaning, I get to choose the meaning for my life it is otherwise meaningless. And if I have that power, I choose to see that everything happens for a reason, because that is what for me feels most expansive and life-giving and loving.
1: Hmm. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways?
0: I would call myself spiritual. I, I don't know if I would say religious now, only because I don't really know now what religion or religious would mean. If religious means um, being devoted to something or showing up to something in a religious, you know, uh, sacred way, then yes, I am that. But I do not go to church or follow a traditional religion. I I meditate, I breathe, I read, I connect the divine within me. I see the divine in me and in everything else.
1: Hmm. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? Mm. In
0: this moment in time, what I believe to be true is that we are all energy and that energy cannot be neither created nor destroyed. And so whatever makes this, this will turn into something else, will become something else, will... Go back into whatever and come in another way i i don't I can't say I see it as i won't even call it reincarnation or i I don't know that doesn't quite resonate i I also don't necessarily see it as like I'll be a spirit floating around somewhere taking it in i I don't necessarily see myself going to you know another planet i mean there's a lot of different visuals and images that others have shared with me that. I can see in terms of that's how they might perceive it, but that doesn't ring true for me. So the the thing that rings most true for me at this point in my journey is we are all energy and energy cannot be destroyed. So it needs, it will simply become something else.
1: I will leave you with this final question. Amanda Johnson, how would you like to be remembered?
0: That brings up a lot of emotion for me. I would like to be remembered as someone who saw herself for who she truly is, who loved herself for who she truly is, and in so doing, loved and saw all others for who they truly are.
1: Hmm. You are beautiful inside and outside. And I thank you for showing up today as you. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: Amazing. With that, I want to thank everybody else who tuned in. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you got something out of it, take one step forward, put something good into the world. One small action is all it takes to see incredible results. We're going to have another incredible episode for you, not too far behind. Thank you again for tuning in, spending your time. We'll do it again real soon. Until we do, go get them.